If you've been with us now for a while, um, and in case you haven't, or you're visiting with us, uh, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, and we've been studying this idea of cultivating a heart for God. Um, and as we've gone through 1 Samuel, we've, it's really been like a tale of two hearts. We've seen King Saul and, and his ascension, but then also the hardness of his heart and his disobedience and, and how he is falling uh, and how the throne is to be taken away from him. And then we've seen the ascension of, of David, who has not yet become king, but we've seen how he is searching after God and he is longing for God and how his heart is soft towards God. And that's where we're going we're gonna to end that today. That today is our, our last Sunday that we're going to be in 1 Samuel. And we're going to see the tragic end of Saul. And I'm trying to figure out my location, if that's why we're getting feedback. Um, but we're, we're going to be going through this. And, and I hope, like, as you guys have been going through 1 Samuel, if, if you haven't been in on all the sermons, I encourage you to go back to help you to get a better understanding of the context of this book to, to better know and fully understand what's going on through this book uh, so that we can go through and we can better examine our own hearts. Um, and, and as we do so, you're going to see some hard things. It's been interesting, the, the few conversations that I've actually had as we've been going through 1 Samuel, uh, whether it's people who didn't remember it being so messy, like there's stuff in this book that we're not putting on flannel graphs. Uh, because that would be pretty gory for little children. Uh, there's stuff in here that, that is just hard to grasp and hard to wrestle with. And, and maybe like when we read it, we're like, wait, that doesn't, that doesn't fit in my understanding of God. I don't understand how that works. And really, that's, that's a challenge just to continue to be asking questions, continue to be seeking understanding in the scriptures. But no, and rest assured, you aren't going to be able to fully comprehend God. There are going to be things that you're going to hit, and it's going to be hard for you to grasp because God is beyond our comprehension. And if you think you can understand God fully, like, that's not a God worth worshiping. If he is only as big as the confines of a finite mind's ability to just comprehend that God's not worth worshiping, but our God is so much greater, so much larger, beyond full grasp, and, and we can know him because of what he's revealed, but there are things that we are going to hit and we're not going to be able to understand. On the flip side, if, if you try to confine him to that box, essentially you have created a God in the image of your comprehension, and that's idolatry. So I give that as just a, a, an encouragement and a reminder and a warning, because the text we hit today is pretty weird, and there's some strange stuff in it, and there's going to be a lot of questions that, that are going to come from the text that we, on this side of Jesus coming back, will not be able to fully understand. And that's okay. So before we dive in, let's, let's go to the Word, or let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, creator of the heavens and the earth, Thank you for just your glory and your majesty. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, through your world, and through Jesus Christ as the word who came into the world. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The, the very person who helped inspire the scriptures is alive in us and can help us as we read your love letter to us. 
As we come to your word today, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would do a work in each of us, act as a scalpel to remove the areas of our lives that are not fitting for a follower of you. Brothers and sisters, if there is a, a sin in your life that has been unrepented of, I would encourage you now just to, to take some moments just to confess that sin to your Father, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you, so that that sin would not take root, would not serve as a distraction, would not serve as a hindrance for what the work of the Holy Spirit might be through his word in your life this morning. Father, we, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have through the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of these sins. Help us to come to you, to be drawn closer to you, and to long for you this morning. Comfort our souls and make our path straight towards the way of righteousness, not for our sake, but for you, the sake of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of spirit. Amen. I can remember how awkward of a feeling it was. I was just laying down on the table with my shirt off. I know that's an ugly view for a lot of you, and I'm sorry to put that in your head, but with all these electrodes just taped all over me. They were drawing blood left and right like they were taking it to save lives. And I can just remember how I was just swirling down into all these hypothetical scenarios. I'm gonna die, something's wrong, I didn't pay my life insurance, all these things because that's where we go a lot of times. But I knew as a 20-something-year-old, I couldn't have had a heart attack. There's no way, 20-year-olds don't have heart attacks, but I couldn't imagine what else could have been wrong that would have given me such a terrible pain in my chest that was bringing me to my knees. I praise the Lord that as all the results are coming back, all the tests were coming back, it, it really was that there was nothing structurally wrong with this muscle that I take for granted, but, but it was a result of just terrible anxiety. But really what that moment caused me to do was to really take note of this heart that I have that I think nothing of so often. And really that's what happens with, with pain and with symptoms. Those things wake us up to that which we take for granted, for that to which we maybe don't pay attention to. And as we've been tracking along with the story of Saul, we, we come to his, his sad and terrible demise, and, and we see that his heart, as we've been, he's been trying to follow and trying to go, is it ends in spiritual heart failure. And as we go through that, the things that are going to point this out is, is the symptoms of spiritual heart failure. So this morning, we're going to see two symptoms as we look at Saul's life. We'll see two symptoms of spiritual heart failure. Then we're going to talk about a side effect of spiritual heart failure. And then we're going to talk about the treatment for hurting hearts. So if, if you have your Bible, please open to 1 Samuel 28. Uh, if you have the Pew Bible, it's page 212. Um, and I'll give you some time to, to get there. And we're going to look at our first symptom that's going to be an indicator of, of spiritual heart failure, which is the symptom of regular disobedience. So we'll start reading in 1 Samuel 28, verses 3 to 20, and that's tiny. So hopefully you guys have your Bibles with you. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his hometown of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. 
the Philistines assembled and came up and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. There's one in Indor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had not eaten, for he had eaten nothing all day and all that night. So, yeah, as I said, this is, I'm going to probably put this in like one of the top 10 weirdest occurrences of scripture. And, and really, again, it, it brings forth so many questions. A lot of people who will approach this text believe that like all of this is some sort of like sham, like a seance sham. And while like, yes, I do believe that there are mediums and spiritists who, who are just con artists and con men, at least as we're looking at the text and how the narrator is communicating this story, uh, it looks like what happens is says what happens. And in reality, uh, the, the act of divination isn't forbidden in Scripture just because it's not effective. It's forbidden in Scripture because it is a practice of the occult. It is wickedness. It's ungodly. So I, I think that what is happening is actually happening here. But then that also brings up questions like, why would God allow for a forbidden practice to deliver a word to Saul? Or other questions like, how is it that God even allowed Samuel to be reached? Or where even is Samuel at this point? How does the spiritist get to be able to contact her? Uh, and, and all those things can take us down, and they are well worth your studying, and I would encourage you to, to be able to read and just see the validation and some of the arguments. But what I want us to see here is that even in his death, 
God has allowed Samuel to bring forth judgment and proclaim what is to come to Saul. We saw, we saw Samuel use, we saw God use Samuel twice in his life to bring judgment to Saul. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul disobeys with the offering to give to God. And Samuel comes and says, because of this, the kingdom will not endure. In Samuel 15, when he fails to, to follow out the command versus the Amalekites, God says, I will tear the kingdom from you and give it to your neighbor. And now even in his death, for some reason, God has allowed this to happen in his sovereignty that this wicked act would be permitted in order to bring judgment and to allow for word to be brought to Saul. And while it'd be easy just to kind of get caught up in so much of this, I really want us to think about just the act of disobedience that this is, that we, we see once again that Saul has carried out something he knows is wrong. And the ironic part is, is we, I'll actually read it in 1 Samuel 20, uh, 15, 22. So this is after Saul has disobeyed and not carried out the command of the Amalekites. And Samuel comes and delivers the message. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. At the time, like, this is the first thing that I think Samuel could think of. is like, well, your rebellion is so bad, it's so bad, it's like, it's like divination. And now it's as if Saul is like swinging for the fence. He's like, I've already done the rebellion. Let me try the divination one, see how that works out. Uh, but what we see is just this continual downward spiral into rebellion and to disobedience. And the narrator then also makes it so clear to us that Saul knows what he's doing and knows what is wrong. And in the first three of what we read this morning, we read that Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. I don't think the narrator is doing that to like pat Saul on the back, saying like, ah, look at the good thing he did. But because of the context and the story to come, it's clear that it's pointing out that this act that's about to happen is wrong. And if that's not enough, he uses the, the medium herself to remind Saul that this is something that Saul knows he's not supposed to do. When in verse 9 she says, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. But Saul, like a dog returning to his own vomit, has, has returned to what he knows of being disobedient and continuing down to that rebellion. He's sunk to this new low because Samuel's dead. He killed all the priests at Nob. Uh, the Lord's not answering through dreams or through the prophets uh, or through the means in which they could find the will of God. And now as he's at this new low in desperation, he rebels again and he sins. Now, this, this is a clear indicator that something is not right with Saul's heart. And this is a wake-up call. This symptom of regular disobedience should bring to light that something's not wrong with his heart. And I hope for, for us here as we think about, okay, what can we glean from this? A, a king living thousands of years ago, what can we glean from this? And as part of we're going through considering and examining our hearts, examine your heart for areas where there might be regular disobedience. Because if, if there are those things that continue to pop up, that you're continuing to sin, and that is an indicator that something is not right with your heart. And it's an opportunity then to be able to, to repent and turn from those things. Maybe for you, it's, it's not practicing the occult. I hope none of you are consorting with spiritists or like playing with like Ouija boards looking for wisdom. But in the same way, 
we saw rebellion is as divination. So there are other areas that maybe we continually sin in, whether it's with lust or arrogance or um, anger or gossiping. And examine your hearts this morning to look for those symptoms, because those are the things that help us to realize. So Saul's heart is not looking good because of this symptom. However, it's not fatal, at least not yet. So now we'll look at the, the second symptom this morning, which is the symptom of hopelessness. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to hop now. So uh, the narrator takes a break as you're reading through, if you're reading through all of 1 Samuel. After 28, he takes a break and he goes back to David. And now he comes back 31. So we know that Philistines have gathered and they're there, they're camped out, they're ready to come. And now we've come to 31 verses 1 through 6. And we now are just dropped right in the thick of the battle. And we're going to continue to read as we look at this, this second symptom, which is hopelessness. 31 verses 1 starts. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malikshua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on the sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. So just as Samuel had warned him through the seance, it came to fruition where, like, it's, Jonathan is now dead, and, like, this, this, he deserves, like, a, a better way to, like, have, like, your death honored, uh, but now the narrator tells us Jonathan died. Like, he was kind of a huge character, but it's just kind of slipped in there. But what has happened is now Saul has just come to this point of hopelessness as, as the Philistines are closing in, that he has chosen that it is better to die than to, to figure out what's to come, to go down swinging, to fight for the last, to his last breath for his Israelites. Um, and really, it's, he wants to, in, in avoidance of humiliation, he turns over, and he, he has a good fear. Like, this is a, like a legit thing that the Philistines would have humiliated him. Like, maybe he would remember just the, the story of Samson, where the Philistines blinded him and forced him into labor, uh, or a common practice in the ancient Near East would be to take the rulers of fallen people to like dismember them or maim them and then put them in like a public display for like everybody to be able to just mock. Uh, so this is what he's trying to avoid. Um, but in hopelessness, he decides to fall on his sword and take his own life. And again, like this, this, procla- this helps proclaim what Samuel had just told him the night before. before. And so here with this symptom, this hopelessness, I would, I would argue that, yeah, his, his heart, his physical heart, clearly flatlined when he fell on the sword. But I believe his, his spiritual heart has flatlined. The choice that he made to pursue death over continuing just to, to live and continue to go there. And again, this, this hopelessness, what can we learn? What can we glean? And I challenge us just to examine our hearts this morning. Look for areas of hopelessness that, that may be there. Maybe you are stuck in a situation that, you have seen yourself in for quite some time and, and never see your ability to escape. 
maybe you're stuck in a sin pattern that you can't get out of and you don't think you ever will. And you just want to succumb to the, the darkness, succumb to just giving up and just kind of throwing it in. Or maybe here this morning, and statistically I know, you are here thinking it would be better to take your own life than continue to live through the struggle you are. These are wake-up calls to us. This symptom should draw our attention to the fact that our spiritual heart needs care. And before we get there, though, and it is coming, the treatment is coming, I do want to take some time to, to kind of sidetrack. So we've got our two symptoms. We've seen it as regular disobedience as our first symptom, our hopelessness. And before we get to any treatment, I want us to look at a side effect of what the... the spiritual heart failure is. Because um, the side effects, I'm, I'm always so like blown away by, like if you're like looking at all like the medication commercials, it's like some side effect of like a, uh, you're like looking at, let's say like a depression medication. And you're like, uh, you may experience like crazy like hair growth because of this medicine. Or it's like just all these like very like weird things that they're just kind of like slipping in. Like, oh, you may take this medicine for this, but there's all these other unknown side effects or all these things. Um, and reality is, we, as we're looking at Samuel's or Saul's life, we see that there is a pretty huge side effect of spiritual heart failure, uh, and it's one that maybe we don't think of right away. So we're going to continue to read in 1 Samuel, and we're going to pick up where we left off uh, now in verse seven, and we're going to see that the the side effect I clicked by it. The side effect of this is that the Lord is defamed. So the side effect of spiritual heart failure is that the Lord is defamed. Verse seven starts. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their own towns, or their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Esherets and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. This is one of those things I've never seen on a flannel graph. And I don't even know, I don't even know how VeggieTales would cover this. Um, but but like, what we have seen here is just a terrible defeat. And we see as we're going through, this isn't just the defeat of King Saul. This isn't just the defeat of Israel. But to those in the watching world, to the nations around, this is a defeat against Yahweh. So they go and we see Saul's body has been taken and it's been hung on the wall of Beth Shan to be able to display and to show to the people that they have beaten Saul and ultimately have beaten Yahweh. His armor is then taken and placed in the temple of the Eshereths as an offering to them as a memorial to be remembered of the day, to be reminded of the day in which they beat Israel. And we don't read about it here, but we do see in 1 Chronicles 10.10, where we see that his head was also taken and put in the temple of uh, Dagon, one of, one of their gods. So here, Yahweh's anointed has become a trophy of war. And to those watching, they're thinking different things about God than they have in previous battles. And really now, the Lord's anointed has become an offering up to these false idols. Um, and this, this same side effect, I think, even happens today. Uh, and it's, it'll probably happen. Give it, a few, give it a few months, because it seems to happen where 
a, a Christian in the public sphere, maybe it's a well-known pastor, well, maybe it's a, a well-known Christian um, actor or something, they're going to have some sort of fall. They will commit sin, it will be this public scandal, and the world watching will like enjoy it for some reason. It's like they, they get like joy out of seeing that like a believer has fallen or a believer has sinned or a believer has sinned. Um, and really then it, it becomes like the Christian faith is a joke because look what this, look what has happened. Look how this is. So it's in the same way that the people of Philistines are saying, look, this is what happens to the Lord's anointed. Like, what is that saying about Yahweh? In the same way that the side effects of our spiritual heart failure bleed out to those around us. That's not just experienced by us, but it's experienced by those, whether it's in your family or your friends, who, who feel that side effect uh, as you're living it out. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so again, be mindful as you're, as you're going throughout that, that those side effects exist and it's not just uh, on you and that you don't keep it self-contained. Uh, so we've talked about the side effect. We've, we've got regular disobedience, the hopelessness, and the side effect that the Lord's name is defamed and defamation of the Lord. So what is the treatment? And, and this is the beauty. For Saul, well, especially now, for Saul, there is no hope for anything else. He has committed suicide, and his story has ended. But you and I are still here, and there is still hope for us. And there's a few treatments that we're going to talk about, the treatment for disobedience and the treatment for hopelessness. Um, and for the regular disobedience, we can treat this, and our hope is treating the regular disobedience with Christ's righteousness. And we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. That's an amazing thing that we have. Uh, and this, this is it. As, as you continue, maybe if you found yourself in this, this state of regular disobedience, you're seeing this symptom in your life. As it rears its head, take it to Christ, seeking the forgiveness, repenting of the sin, for that is its treatment. Being reminded every time that you have been made new because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and that you have salvation, you have forgiveness, you have redemption, not because of anything you have done, because like Saul, we all keep failing. But we can treat this with continual repentance and just continuing to seek Christ's righteousness that has been imparted to us through his work. And maybe you're here this morning and you are stuck in that state. Maybe you've got a, a sin in your life that continues to rear its head and, and you are just nearly giving up. We're going to have the elders and we're going to have the pastors come forward and they're going to be here after you're dismissed for your service. And we want to pray with you. We want to join with you. We believe in the power of prayer and that the Holy Spirit can bring about healing, bring about restoration, and bring about renewal. And we want to pray that with you and be with you through that time. Because we believe that in order to treat that regular disobedience, it is to continue just to look to Christ's righteousness. Then for the hopelessness, continue just to treat hopelessness with the hope of redemption. Romans 8, to 26 tells us, We know that the whole creation has been growing as, it pains, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, of the first Spirit 
of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this the hope we are, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for that what they already have? But if we hope for that which we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. As you continue just to see if this hopelessness symptom is popping up, just continue to treat it with the hope of redemption. Because we aren't immune to this. Just because we are believers doesn't mean we are immune to suffering. We live in a fallen creation. We are going to experience physical ailments, mental illness, the struggles that come with a decaying body. These things are all things that we are going to face as part of life. But we have the hope that we can look forward to to the redemption that is to come. Because here we see it's, it's not just a spiritual redemption that is coming. It is a redemption of even our physical bodies. All of creation is groaning, yet God will redeem all creation and bring about renewal and redemption of even our, our own bodies. Um, now, don't hear this as just saying like, that if you are struggling with mental illness, depression, suicide, like we're saying, like, oh, throw the medications out. We believe that those are God's divine grace that he has given us through, general, uh, through his general grace to all people. Um, so continue to, to seek out the means that God has given to, to us. But at the same time, continue to examine your spiritual heart, looking for these areas of hopelessness. Because, again, this is a symptom that can help rear its head and will show us that we are in need of God's grace and the hope that we have in the redemption. And again, like if, if you are suffering with, with those kind of thoughts, with thought, thoughts of, uh, or you're suffering depression, any of those, please come forward this morning and, and pray with an elder or a pastor. We would love to be praying with you on a regular basis. This isn't just like a one and done, we're going to pray and you're going to be gone and good to go. Uh, but we want to help you walk through life with you. And we want to make sure that we can help you get the resources and the help that you need. Uh, because we believe the body of Christ is here to help one another as we continue to move forward in this treatment. Um, so hopefully as you've been going through 1 Samuel, and again, if you haven't gone through the whole book, continues to, to be studying the entire book. Uh, go through and watch a lot of the sermons as, as we've been trying to cultivate a heart for God. Hopefully through Saul's painful experience, we might be able to learn and might be able to glean uh, so that we wouldn't become victims of the same consequences, but that we can know that our spiritual heart failure will, will rear its head as we see the symptoms of disobedience, as we see hopelessness, and knowing ultimately that we still have the hope for the redemption over these things. Please close with me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We live in limited bodies that have been impacted by the curse of sin on all of creation. Some of us here this morning are suffering, whether it's with physical suffering, mental suffering, whatever it is, you know the hearts of every man and woman in this room. I just ask that the Holy Spirit would be ministering to them where they're at. Continue just to help us to turn these things over to you, to continue to cling to you. If we have moments where, where we feel like Saul, that you've forsaken us, where you've abandoned us, help us cry out to you and cling to you even the more and even harder. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have for our sins because 
we turn to them over and over and over again, Lord. Time and time again, we are disobedient to you. We are unfaithful to you. Yet, you continue to forgive us. You continue to love us as if we could never outsin your grace, Lord. You love us so much. Help us to seek you. Help comfort our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.